So you want to rock an aesthetics career? <laughs> yes, please. Welcome to a brand new episode of Illuminating the Path, where you'll get your weekly shot of real career direction. And maybe a little tea. I'm Patty. Marissa here. Coming straight to you from the world's beauty mecca. LA, baby. Illuminating the Path starts now. Let's go. Hi, guys. Welcome, welcome. Such a fun little time we're having here today. I actually, um, I love when we get a chance to talk to uh, folks that are in the trenches doing the work. Um, sometimes it's nice to like talk about theory and processes and all that stuff. But when we actually get a chance to talk to a practitioner that's down in the trenches, going through the same stuff we're going through every day, it's so nice. Um, it's fresh, I guess it's kind of like the community thing. So today we're going to have a fun time talking with um, Nurse Rachel. I'll introduce her in just a moment with all her accolades and so on. Actually, I'll let Marissa talk a little bit more about her. Marissa's with us today again. Welcome, welcome. Good morning. And you have, well, I'm, I'm not going to steal the spotlight. You were so excited to chat with Rachel today because, you know, she's a nurse practitioner, has some great experience, and I'm just going to let you take it from there. Perfect. Yeah, we're so excited to have Rachel Broadfirst, nurse practitioner out of Lexington, Kentucky. And I discovered her once again, just through the world of Instagram. I actually came across one of her before and after photos of Sculptra. And it was so, it was such a great before and after of just exactly why I love Sculptra. And I, I messaged her privately asking, you know, would I be able to share this photo on my page with, you know, making sure to reference it reference the photo and she was so kind um, to let me share that and she's such a doll and we're so happy to be able to talk with her today so welcome Rachel. Thank you I'm so excited to um, do this it's an honor <laughs> talk Thank all things aesthetics. <laughs> yeah so um, let's kick things off and just kind of let's have you Rachel talk about your journey in aesthetics and kind of how you got your start I think that's a good place to begin. Sure. So my, I feel like my start in aesthetics was so unconventional. It was not planned. Um, Marissa, you and I talked a little bit about it already. I was an oncology nurse and had gone back to school to become a nurse practitioner. And honestly, my path was set that I wanted to be an oncology nurse practitioner or palliative care slash hospice care. And during the middle of all of this great career planning I had going on, my husband decided to relocate with his job. So we relocated. I took a little time off because I was so busy with my kids and working on my degree. About nine months of having time off, I decided to go try to find a job. There was a plastic surgeon that needed someone one day a week in the OR. After being with her for about a month, she asked me if I wanted to learn injections and I was blown away. I'm like I can do injections. Um, and so I learned and the rest is history. I fell in love with it and I enjoy doing what I do. So here I am. <laughs> it's such a fun career, isn't it? I mean, when you get a chance to really change someone's just look and feel and that confidence. And I think that's the, for me, I, I feel like that's a big piece. Um, you know, we, we're doing a lot of like front end work to like explore what the client wants and get, get gather their wants and needs, of course. And that's part of our process. But when you're going through your consults, um, what are some of the things that come up for you and how do you 
talk about it because it's kind of a sensitive thing to talk about. It is. It can be really challenging. You have someone that's sitting in your chair and they are somewhat vulnerable. And I honestly, I think that's where my oncology background has really helped me to be a little more empathetic to every individual's unique situation. And one of the things that I love to do when I have a patient in my chair, I realize they are there because they're wanting to improve the way that they look. But I like to find out during that consult, what brought you to this point? What has made you decide that you want to sit in my chair? Where are they in their life? Did they just go through a bad divorce? Are they widowed? Or is, is it just a high school reunion, a wedding? Mm-hmm. Everyone are, is at these different stages in their lives. And um, these decisions to sit in our chair are very personal. And when I can find out those things or what kind of careers they have, it really helps drive what kind of plan I'm going to put together for them. Right. And how do you feel when there's pushback? Um, I think one of the things that we were really kind of chatting up with Marissa, um, and Marissa, please chime in because this is, um, this is an area we always talk about when you give advice, but there's challenges. So that is something that in this world of aesthetics that you are going to hear on a daily basis. I mean, there's pushback every day. If I had a day where there was no pushback, it's a miracle. Um, If I have a patient that is sitting in the chair and I'm feeling the pushback, I pump the brakes and I just say, you know what? It's okay. This is not something that we have to do right now or today. Um, I'm never going to try to talk someone into doing something that they're hesitant about or they're pushing back on me. But I also try to be very realistic with them and say, hey, you know, I'm I'm recommending these things because these are going to help you achieve where you're wanting to go. But again, if there's pushback, I want them to go home and really do their homework, their research and think about it and hopefully come back ready to uh, move forward with a game plan. Yeah, it's a big step, especially when you have a new patient in your chair and they're, you know, I'm seeing this more and more, just patients that are looking at themselves in the camera, on Zoom, on their, I don't know how many times I hear that a week, but patients are new and then they, you know, we, I do a full, like from top to bottom. Yes. First talk about your, your forehead, your eyes and it can be once I start to see that they're like, they're getting overwhelmed and they start like not making eye contact with me, <laughs> just those little signs that they're just, they're, they're, I'm probably, you know, I'm kind of losing them. Then let's, let's first, okay, then let's do a price consult or let you know what the cost will be. And then we'll go from there. And then usually most of the time they end up doing neuromodulators first because fillers a little bit, it's, you know, it's a higher price point and it's also you know, it's more risky when it comes down to, um, side effects and all the stuff that comes with filler, but yeah, it's just, um, it's, it's difficult to, you you just, you, you get those little cues, you know, and that, that kind of comes with time when someone's sitting in your chair and you're just like, okay, let's kind of take another route. (laughs) (laughs) They get that glazed over a lot. Like, and they're like, or they've got one foot off or one hip off the chair and they're like ready to run. <laughs> I had that this week, actually. 
<laughs> yes, I agree with that. That's a tough one. Yeah, that can be a tough one because we we find ourselves trying to people please, which is you know always so rewarding when they are happy. But then there's sometimes those, um, I, I kind of get caught in the, in the, on the backside of that because, you know, as, as the management team, um, I hear the, you know, complaints or, or not, they're not necessarily complaints. It's just like, I understand why I couldn't get what I wanted, or I don't understand why I have to make another appointment, or I wanted a full syringe today, but she only put half in and she wants me to come back in two weeks. And those types of, you know, requests, or I guess comments too. And, um, and I have to explain to them, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's in the, the, medical professionals, you know, interest to make sure that you are navigating this carefully, making sure that you're making um, good strides, but in the, in the right direction and that we don't go super aggressive. We have kind of a reputation for not being super aggressive and, and microdosing a lot. Um, and so it's, it's a little tough sometimes, especially here in LA, we get folks that want to, you know, just do a full syringe right out the door or um, want come in and they tell you, I need 40 units of Botox. Yeah. They tell you what they want. That drives me nuts. And so and last year, are you finding that? Do you get a lot of that? So we do. Um, one of the nurse practitioners in the office the other day had someone that was new to our practice that came in and said, I only get 18 units and I get my entire face treated, you know, and it lasts X amount of months every time I do it. And, you know, my first thought is then why are you here? Yeah. Why, <laughs> you know, why did you leave? It was so good. Yeah. Why are you here? Um, but yes, we do see, I don't see as much in the industry, maybe as what you are seeing out West with women coming in and they want that full syringe right away. Um, in Kentucky, they do tend to be a little bit more conservative. So I have that on my side. I'm not saying all of them are, but they tend to embrace the like let's go at this slow and steady. I always explain to every woman that I'm doing full face correction on like, look, I want you to like what we're doing. And I don't want to do so much that you go home and you look in the mirror and you no longer recognize yourself because you've done too much in one visit. Um, so I like the baby step approach and I try to really convey that message even in my consults. Yeah, I feel like that's so important. And having that discipline is also incredibly important. We have a lot of um, nurse injector hopefuls that approach us or um, have done the notorious weekend course um, that everyone always gets invited to do, you know, some superstar injectors in town or wants to hold a gathering at a hotel or whatnot, and they pay thousands of dollars. And now they're mm -hmm. told, literally told that they can now inject and that they can now take patients and share a little bit about that, that whole um, theory. <laughs> yeah. So, is so I, Kentucky, is it, is, in Kentucky, what's the, what are the, what are the laws in Kentucky? I'm just curious. As far as like owning your own practice? Well, as far yeah. as injecting. So you just have to have is it RN or is it NP or higher? It's RN. RN. Okay. RN. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Um, so I'm pretty passionate about training. <laughs> I actually trained for Galderma. Yeah. And interest, 
it's very interesting because I had a training yesterday and I was on the way back from the training. I was talking to the rep about, I really wish that the companies would say, we'll give you product as soon as you go through an anatomy class or um, as soon as you understand how to manage complications. And, and I can even speak as in when I was a baby injector, the more I learned, the more overwhelmed I became because the anatomy of the face is so complex and so many things can go wrong. And it's scary that these injectors go out and they take a weekend course and they've spent thousands of dollars. And now all of a sudden they think they can go inject. Mm -hmm. And, um, I get calls all of the time from injectors who are newer injectors that are afraid they have an occlusion and I'll be getting pictures. And then their next question is, well, how do I dissolve it? I've never had to dissolve anything. Um, I think it's so important. And the best way for me to probably put it is that I'm a nurse practitioner and my certification is in adult Jero. If I decided for whatever reason to become a psych MP and I wanted a psych certification, I would have to pay a lot of money to go study and then sit for that board. The unfortunate part is that for whatever reason, we have this community of injectors that feel like they take a weekend course and then it's the responsibility of Galderma or Allergan and all the other big aesthetic companies to now pay for their training to make them good injectors. And that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to become a successful injector, you really have to invest in your education and I think that anatomy needs to be at the top of the list because it's eye-opening. I took an anatomy class this past spring. It's not the first one that I've been in. It was a cadaver course. And every time I go, I am just blown away with how much more that I learned. But more importantly, I feel like it would produce a lot more safer injectors and they would know better how to handle complications because complications are going to arise. Right. Yeah. I have yet to done, to do a cadaver course, but I actually, was that with Dr. Surik, the one that you went to? Yes, I did. Yeah. It I was the end of that one. yeah. Yeah. I was looking at one for the, I think it's ice, the ice span conference this, this fall. Mm -hmm. but um, I, I'm going to have to wait on it. The price points for them are so, the, they are they're very expensive. Very they expensive. are very expensive. Thankfully, thankfully, um, the practice that I work for, they give us an allowance on our continuing education and it's a healthy allowance. So it just about covered all of it. That's wonderful. So what about, what about Marissa? We talk about this a lot. Do you want to ask some questions about like when it's too much, when it gets to be like burnout time? Oh yeah. Let's talk about injector burnout. That's, that's an important one. Yeah. How, do you feel, how do you feel Rachel when it comes down to like, it's, you know, it's back to back. I don't know if you guys get to that level, you know, where you're just slammed and it's just back to back to back and you're, at a point where you're running like your robot. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've had that happen. I even had it happen recently. It was maybe five or six months ago. 
And I just, I felt myself like it was, it was back to back to back to back every single day. Um, and if I wasn't working and seeing patients, I was training. And one day my patient, who's been a very long-term patient with me was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't think you're okay. No, I'm good. I'm good. She was I don't know. You're, you're just not your peppy self. And it made me pause and I had to self-evaluate myself because I thought, you know what? She's right. I'm not my peppy self. I started to become this. Okay. You want the same amount of units you got the last time. Okay. That's what we're going to do. Bam, bam, bam. Do you need your skincare today? Take them up front, get them checked out. Like I was losing my, um, that personal touch of me, because I'm also one of those, I get them in the chair. And while I'm talking to them about the aesthetic treatment, I'm also asking them, how are you doing? How is your job? How is your family? And you, I, I know just about everything about my patients. I feel like I'm part of their family too. And I was losing that touch because I was becoming a robot. So yeah. it, it made me step back a little bit um, and slow down. I think injector burnout is real. I, I think that it's no different than for a person who's working in the hospital or a nurse that's working the floor that gets nurse burnout. When you're doing something day in and day out and you're not pausing to take time for yourself, um, I think that's when we start to produce maybe not our best work. And the clients that we have are cash paying clients and they choose to come see you. So they're wanting that awesome experience and they want you on 100% of the time. So I think it's really important that once you start feeling that nurse burnout, that you take a step back and figure out, do I need to reduce my hours a little bit more? What do I need to do for what did you do? What did you do to overcome that when you were feeling that six months ago? <laughs> I had, I actually stepped back from training a little bit because at the end of the day, my, I mean, I love training. It, it's my jam, but my patients are what keep me going. That's what's supporting this career. And I want them to be my focus and to have the best of me. I never want to walk in a room to inject a patient and them not have the best of me. I mean, how do you feel, Marissa? I mean, yeah, geez, well, you mentioned I mean, I'm, this, I'm the same way with my patients. Like I ask about their family and, you know, I know a lot about them. And then when I'm either some, for some reason, the visit is cut short or I'm like, I don't have as much time as I normally do, or I'm also just tired of talking. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> then they know that they always come to see me and talk about their family. So it's so hard. It's, it's really hard to balance it, but thankfully I'm at a point where the offices that I work at, I can, I have about, you know, an hour for filler, 20 minutes for both for a follow-up Botox. And I'm, I'm pretty good about keeping things on time. And when I find mm -hmm. I'm running over, I've learned to kind of like keep questions kind of not open-ended yes or no yeah. you know I'm so sorry like just being open with them I'm so sorry but I'm running you know a little bit behind today mm -hmm. and they understand I mean I think that patients that have been following you for a while they understand you know they get it they it's, right um and if they 
you know, respect you and trust you, then it's not going to be an, an issue for them. And they'll still rebook with you, even if you feel mm-hmm. like they haven't been able to get the full version of you. At that right. Appointment. You, you mentioned your appointment times and mm-hmm. that is something that we collectively sat down and we looked at was our appointment times. And then on top of that, we ended up hiring two MAs to, to help with our flow and to keep us going. And that's what I love about the office that we work. I work in. There's a lot of collaboration that's happening to keep us healthy and happy. So we are able to continue to give our best. And I do feel like once we brought in that second MA, it made a world of difference for us too, because they're kind of that buffer for us before we go in and see the patient. Right. Question yeah. about that because that is a, that's that's a topic that's recently come up. We've had, um, as you know, hospitals are recruiting nurses like crazy with all the you know new developments and so on. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in fact, Marissa and I just had this conversation. Marissa, when she's injecting, um, we usually have one to two folks on the floor, uh, medical assistants. When you say MAs, you mean medical assistants, right? Yes. Yes. Um, that's very similar to our model. Um, we make it a point to always have medical assistants or spa assistants on the floor with all our nurses, um, to help turn over rooms, check out clients. We give our nurses complete autonomy over checking out their own patients and even booking the next appointment. Um, everybody runs around with laptops and iPads. So mm-hmm. more of that, um, they just basically run and control their practice from A to Z. And if they want someone to check someone out, then they will. But more importantly, um, the, the role of the MA to come in and help turn over a room or prep for the next client and do those different pieces, um, it's been a little bit stretched right now because, you know, we lost four, I think, nurses um, this past month. Um, and it's attractive. You can't blame folks for wanting to take those contracts. Those are pretty significant jumps Um you know, when you're getting offered eight to $10,000 a week to go jump into a hospital, you know, you definitely right. do, you know, think about it at least. Yeah. Um, right. And so in that process, you know, every time we hire new nurses, there's a strain on the budget because we have to get them, you know, just the whole onboarding process. And so we had to be a little bit more conservative with how many um, medical assistants and folks we have on the floor at one time. Um, my question for you, Rachel, is when you don't get that extra level of support, um, do you find that you, you, you compensate in other ways? Do you buff up the, the, maybe the time that they spend, um, that you spend in a room with the client so you have the extra time in between clients? Um, what are some, and, and also second part of that question is, at what point do you feel um, financially it's worth getting um, a second MA on the floor? I don't know if you have some maybe bracket numbers that could be, um, because injectables kind of run pretty mm-hmm. parallel as far as you know numbers go. Right. Um, so when we, we were shut down for the closure of COVID and things like that, when we mm-hmm. came back, um, we buffered our system to where we allowed so many minutes in between each patient mm-hmm. because of course, you know, the cleaning was so intense and in between each patient, right. it allowed us time to see our patient, but also not be stressed about trying to get everything turned over. 
we eventually got as an MA that came in and helped. At the time, there were three injectors. So that MA is working for all three injectors. Oh. Um, then once we started sandwiching our appointments to where they were one after another, we did start looking at the amount of time that we were spending in each appointment. I feel really good about what we do with our appointments now. I mean, we allow 30 minutes for a Botox appointment. We allow anywhere from an hour to an hour and 15 minutes for a filler appointment because some of our fillers are not just lips. They're lips and cheeks and jawline. Sure. They're doing a lot of things. Um, for four injectors, we have four injectors. We have two MAs. On the and, floor at the same time for injectors? Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's yes. Great. It's a so, practice. You're telling me you have over like 50 employees, I think, or 30? We um 15, we have 15 to 20 employees. Okay. So yes. there's four injectors, a registered nurse, five estheticians, a person who does all of our charts, like pulling, filing, the paperwork four front desk girls that work full-time, um, the office manager, a full-time marketing person in the office. So there's a lot, office. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on, but I think when it becomes important and, and I don't know if it's about a, a certain dollar amount that, oh, you need an MA. I think it's really about when the schedule starts to amp up and you see that the injectors just not having enough time to get their charting done or um, sit down. Those are the times that an MA is really helpful. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of like that check person to make sure the consents are done. The photos are in there. Yes. Things When things yes. get really backed up, things mm -hmm. get missed. And I've worked at an office where I didn't have the autonomy to have you know, third, 30 minutes or 20 minutes for Botox and right. filler where I just had to, this is what I got. I got 30, 20 minutes to do lip filler. Oh, and and I, I mean, I did have an MA at that office, but that if I weren't for her, then I would be drowning and things would get missed. Uh -huh. It really becomes actually pretty unsafe too. When you're, mm -hmm. you're rushing, you're not looking for the signs of occlusion you know, or you're not going through their medical chart and you might be missing something. Yes. And that's the great thing about the MA too, because our MA bets all of that. They're going through their health history. Has anything changed? If they're a filler patient, we really go through like, have you had your dental cleanings lately? Are you on antibiotics? When was your last vaccination? Um, just to make sure we're not doing an injectable during a time frame that there may be a an inflammatory response going on in the body. And it's kind of like our double check system. Mm -hmm. They're going through all of that. They're getting all of the consent signed for us. They're handing the chart off to us. And really we're almost ready to go. We just make sure ever, you know, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And we go in and talk to the patient real quick and we can start injecting. It has increased our productivity exponentially. Mm-hmm having those MAs on board. Yeah. yeah, I feel that that's such a good formula too. And it's good to hear that you have like a couple for, you know, four, that makes me feel better because we have a couple on the floor. Um, usually um, they overlap a little bit. Um, and then we do have, our, our model is always to have two nurses. We have a smaller practice. Uh, we have 12 mm -hmm. total, 
but we have two nurses, usually an esthetician working um, on a regular basis. And then we have a, mm -hmm. an assistant or two um, working um, unilaterally with, with, you know, the nurses and also mm -hmm. check out clients and so on. Um, anything specific that you feel, um, especially newer injectors, newer um, folks that are, that are coming into this space, that they absolutely need to do um, before getting started. Uh, you talked about an, a ton, uh, like anatomy and, and trying to mm -hmm. get some clarity there. I think it's really important to probably try to find a good mentor. Mm -hmm. This business, I, I hear so many nurses. I I treat a lot of people that work in healthcare and are nurses. And they always are like, this looks so much fun. I want to do this. I want to cross over. And, and it is fun. It can be fun, but it can also be really stressful. And those are the things that when you're going into this business, you don't think about. And I know I'm sure Marissa can attest to that. You can have really stressful days. And I think it's important if you're going to go into this business Find someone who has a lot of experience that can help mentor you and walk you through the processes of what this is going to be like and help you um, find good quality trainings and that can help you manage um, complications. I kind of had a mentor, but not really had a mentor. I felt like it was, you know, maybe in the past three or four years that I've really started to connect with some really good injectors that I can talk to or bounce ideas off of. And um, it's important to have your hype girl. Right, yeah, it's important to have a good yeah. team. I mean, my, my most stressful days, I think we're at an office or places that I've worked where I didn't have the support. Yes. It was, a you know, a toxic environment and that, mm -hmm there was a lot of drama and that is very common. <laughs> there it was a point where I just felt a, I just wanted to leave the industry total. I'm like, what else could I do? I mean, I have a, I have a background in home health nursing. That's what I did straight out of nursing school. There wasn't really anything I could fall back on. I'm like, what else could I do? But there's really nothing like how to like sit back, take a deep breath. Like, okay, this is where, where I'm passionate and where I thrive. And I'm just having a bad month. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think the team around you and the, the support and the community and, you know, having a good manager all, all can help you get through those tough days. Yes. Yeah. And I think too, I, that's why, so you had mentioned in the beginning how you had reached out to me about my pictures and things like that. With sculpture, I try very hard for anyone who reaches out to me to really to be a very kind mentoring type person because I want everyone to succeed in this business that really has that desire to do that. And I I would like to see more people do that. Mm -hmm. um, step up to the plate to be a mentor and be there for people, especially newer injectors. I feel like newer injectors tend to be the ones that get themselves in the not so great situations. Mm -hmm. um, and the offices that are the toxic environments and they don't have the support help. I see it quite a bit when I go in and do trainings and it's, uh, it's sad. Yeah. Um, 
And those are the ones that, that need that support the most. I wanted to ask you about your experience as a Galderma trainer, because yeah. I, I think that is a goal for a lot of injectors to be mm-hmm. considered for either with, whether it's any of the any of the brand. companies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Tell us about your experience with that and how you got started with that. So I got started when I loved the brand. And um, when I started out in the industry, I spent sounds crazy, but I spent hours and hours and hours on YouTube following some of the, like the injectors that I felt were very sciencey, really smart, um, like Dr. Steve Weiner or Dr. Rajani. Um, there's another guy out there. I cannot think of his name. I was clocking 20 something hours a week on YouTube. That's how much I wanted to learn about these, these products. And, um, I just had a, such a hunger for learning. And then as time went on, I, I feel like the reps recognized that and they just sent some really good trainers in to help me along that way. So I ended up with the training with Sheena Bay, Dr. Rajani, Dr. Jason Bloom. Um, there's probably more, I can't remember, but um, I, I asked my rep because I have people asking all the time, like how to become a trainer. And I asked her, I'm like, what are you looking for in a trainer? And she said, someone who can of course speak well, um, someone who can take social cues and how things are going in the room. And when you might need to dial it back a little bit and someone who understands the rheology and the science of the products and, and someone who really seeks to continue their education and that they aren't the type of injector that is a, well, I'm a trainer now and I don't need to learn anything else. Um, I love going to trainings. And when I do a training myself, I, my motto is always like, yes, I'm here to train you, but chances are you are going to teach me something today too. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the important things. And I think too, communicating that to your rep, what Galderma, Allergan, whoever it is that you're wanting to become a trainer with, it's sitting down with them and say, how can I get to this point in time in my life to become a trainer? It's a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, that's so important that you're, you're detailing that out. I feel like, and again, coming from like the business side, I can't tell you how many times it's like, it's frightening. It's so frightening when someone calls and the phone rings and they're like, I think I'm having a problem. And I think, you know, something went wrong. Usually the client doesn't know what went wrong. They're just seeing that, you know, their, their skin is turning white or they're overly, Mm -hmm. overly, you know, inflamed or, or they're bruised or, you know, lots of myriad of things. And so, um, we always get that call, you know, it doesn't happen very often, but it's like, right. (laughs) You know, we're the first ones to get that call. And so, um, it's that whole, like, oh no moment. And you, you really, uh, you know, coming from the business side, you really have to immediately kick into, first of all, were they in the hands of a good injector? Does that injector know what they're doing? Um, and, and those check boxes quickly, quickly, quickly need to be checked. Yes. Um, right. 
in your mind because it's a very stressful moment. You know, we only have mm-hmm. hours, um, maybe minutes sometimes to get it fixed if there's a problem, if there's an occlusion, right. any of that stuff. So um, from a business side, you know, I can definitely tell you that, I mean, this is why we've, we've never been um, super, or injectables have been very, we've slowly, slowly gone into that space. Um, previous, you know, spas that, you know, I've been in, it's been rampant. We had lots of injectors and all that, but in this um, new uh, franchise, we are very careful to only offer, you know, experienced injectors that have been doing it mm-hmm. uh, for a quite some time. And even when they're they've done it for quite some time, we're still quality controlling to make sure: Are you really taking the time to explore, you know, all the different possibilities and talking with the client, or is it just get them in, get them out kind of mentality? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are talking about this, this piece of just really having that mentor and having that training and understanding the value of that, because um, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy to me how easy it is for, for folks to be, I don't know if it's, it's probably some money thing. It's like, okay, let's make money with injectables and now bring them in. Yeah. And let's do it. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is, it is. I mean, it's, it's enticing when you think, okay, this is a cash paying business that I can make some good money doing yeah. injectables. But on the flip side, you can also really do a lot of harm if you don't know what you're doing or you just don't know how to manage a complication. And so um, recently there was someone who thought they had an occlusion and she was sending me pictures and she was sending me videos. And I paused for a moment. And I said, because she was in tears. And I said, look, it's, it's going to be okay. If I have to get in my car mm-hmm. and bring the ultrasound mm-hmm. and meet you at your office, we're going to get through this. And mm-hmm. I think injectors need more people like that. Yeah. They need those people that they can reach out to that are going to help them manage those complications. Of course, I want any injector to know to have protocols before they even start injecting. And I think that's another key point for new injectors. Have your protocols in place. How are you going to handle a lid tosis? How are you going to handle, you know, if they have a crooked smile or God forbid you have an occlusion, what is going to be your protocol? I think those things as a new injector, having that in place before you even lay a needle to the face Mm -hmm. is going to make them so much more confident and get them a lot further into their career. Right. Just education and just knowing the signs. I mean, I, I spent at least, you know, I don't know, through the year um, I try to do with COVID, I've been doing the virtual conferences, right. Still in the process of watching the on-demand ones for aesthetic next. And there's so much good information every year. Some Mm -hmm. of it's repetitive, but you, that it's just, it's really invaluable to your education. And I was actually just watching one, this is kind of off topic, but just watching one about, you know, the laws and legal, it was a lawyer, I believe. And he was giving, did you, did you go to aesthetic next or did you watch? Um, demand? Did on demand? Yes. I don't know if you might know who he is. So I apologize if I don't um, know the gentleman that was doing the lecture on just how to 
stay within, you know, the, the laws. And he was basically just telling stories about the cases that he would have to defend. Mm-hmm. But that's just an example of why those conferences are so important stuff that you wouldn't even think about um that there's a lot of places that aren't doing good faith exams still Mm -hmm. we we just hired a nurse that came from a spa that wasn't doing them or from an office and we're like whoa that's kind of scary so um, those conferences are just invaluable I agree I agree 100 and that specific person you're talking about it is it is eye-opening, even again, for injecting the amount of years that I've been injecting, you, it makes you stop and think, wow, you know, what I'm doing is, um, it can really hurt somebody if you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And speaking of like all the research you guys are doing online and really watching, um, a lot of the, the different practitioners, how, um, how do you do with the whole social media burnout thing? Because that, that I feel is always kind of a tricky place to be. You have to put information out there, but then also it's a lot and you're living on this. (laughs) Definitely share a little bit about that. (laughs) I think some of that might've been contributing to my injector burnout too. Um, You know, social media is so important. I mean, that's how you get your brand out there um, as as an injector. Um, And then there's all this pressure of like trying to build your social media and you continue to try to build it. And I had a patient one day tell me, she says, Rachel, she she said, you don't need to be a social media whore. She gives your schedule. Excuse me. <laughs> I know. So I hope it's okay. I said that on this podcast. <laughs> no, it's great. We said, said worse. We like all a little bit social media horse. <laughs> she said your schedule speaks for itself. So basically, what she was saying was, put stuff out there. People want to see it. People want to learn. Patients want to see things. The you know other injectors do but don't make it your full-time job. Right. And so now I don't make it so much my full-time job. I try to be present on there. I try to interact, but I also don't beat myself up over it anymore. Um, I'm finding, I feel like my biggest pet peeve right now with it is that it ha- the pendulum has swung to where it's almost like we have injector influencers mm-hmm. and a lot of injectors are taking what they're saying or presenting on Instagram as the gospel, but yet maybe what they're saying or presenting is not backed by science. And mm-hmm. I'm more of a, like, let's see the science and the data on this and what, what you're doing or saying, is it true? And is it going to live up to what you're doing? So um, that kind of concerns me a little bit, but I just, I try to stay true to myself and do what I can with it. As long as I'm staying busy in the office, then I'm happy. And as soon as I'm not, I guess I'll have to kick it up on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's hard because that's how we find how a lot of, uh, where we get a lot of business and where a lot of yes. people are finding us, uh-huh. free marketing, 
and it's you can just have it at the you know at the tip of your fingers. Patients can just research and follow follow hashtags, and you know we get questions every week about oh I saw this on yeah. Instagram or it's it's bad. It's like oh my god I saw this video of this girl eyelid drop dropping and what yes. happens with that. And so it's yeah it's definitely <laughs> it could be good but definitely a lot of bad and it's when it comes to a like a legal standpoint to the same lecture that I was telling you about I don't know if you saw it so um if you haven't and it was it was really good just about also social media and how the boards they do look at that stuff they look to see if you're doing any false advertising if you're claiming to be an expert at this and you don't have any recognition you haven't won any awards like that's something that they do kind of look at that was one thing that that lawyer was saying and also deceptive before and after photos yes I'm seeing a lot of that on social media too yeah deceptive yeah it's I think the thing that makes me give a little pause to the whole social media is just it is not HIPAA compliant Mm -hmm. at the end of the day and so when you have patients that are reaching out to you on social media you have to be really careful because again, it's not a platform that's HIPAA compliant and you would never want someone else to get into your Instagram and see all of these messages or pictures that patients have sent. And I, I try to convey the message to those people, the patients that anything you send me on social media is not HIPAA compliant. Like it's yeah. not pretty- you make a good point. That's really, really important. My, one of my sons, he's plays basketball and he, his coach just got his Instagram got hacked last night. So, I mean, it's not, it's not, it can easily get hacked just like any other login or any other. Right. Right. Website. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like too, it's also, again, from like uh, the business side, it's it's really about protecting licenses, making sure that things, you know, again, those check boxes are so important when when we're working with our practitioners because it can it can really come back to bite us all if we're, you know, it, it's so easy to put stuff out there and mm-hmm. constantly populate, 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 and then somebody somewhere says, "I didn't get any approval for that," or oh gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, you, didn't, "You didn't protect my interest," and now it's a problem. Now it's you know, yes. it's a real problem, and so. Um, yeah, I, I definitely can, you know, empathize with the the need to put things out there on a regular basis because it does feed our pipeline and people see it and they want a book and all that. But the flip side of it is how much of a headache do we really want um, if we're not doing things selectively, um, carefully and making sure that we're not consulting over social channels, I feel like has happened in the past. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyhow, I yeah, I'll tell you a story. Actually, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, please do tell your story. I was just tell you a story about just about Instagram and social media. So, I I know about a and have heard about a patient who consented to their photos being used, and there was a fallout with somehow the patient was unhappy with something that ended up happening with their treatment, and they basically got into, it went to a, um, you know, where there were lawyers involved and they were trying to get the photos removed from Instagram and ended up being this whole thing. 
not at our office, but I've just heard about this happening. So, you know, just being really careful about one that you're having, you're getting a consent from them, but that you have a good relationship with that patient, but anything could happen. Anything could go wrong mm-hmm. and that it gets really, it gets really, really hairy when um, their photos are being put somewhere publicly. So yeah, I, I know I agree with that. Um, I've seen some of that happen where a patient has given consent, but then, um, and it's not happened to me personally, but then the patient gets mad at the office because something else happens and then they are wanting their pictures down. Um, I, I like that you mentioned, Marissa, you got to make sure that you have a really good relationship with this patient. And I'm really selective in the patients that I ask, can I use your pictures on social media? We have a consent for them to sign. Um, But I very rarely will ever ask a brand new patient if I can use their pictures. Typically it's someone that's been with me for a while that um, I have a solid nurse practitioner patient relationship with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's important. And I mean, I can tell you that we, we've had to deal with, um, it's never been like a lawsuit situation, but we've had to defend um, nurses in the past um, at previous practices. And, and it's um, it's many thousands of dollars. Um, you just have to ask yourself, is this really worth the fight? Um, it's not. It's like if someone's asking for, their pictures should not be used or, you know, any of that stuff. It's so important to, you know, quickly take care of that. And you'll save yourself so much headache and mm-hmm. long-term um, and to get those consents. We're very, um, very much about consents at our office. Every, everything we do is signed off on. Right. Um, and so we are careful, but um, yeah, it's, it's possible. It's very possible to get in the hot water. It is. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been so always so great to chat. Rachel, if you don't mind sharing your Instagram handle, I feel like such, I was looking through your photos and they just look amazing. Oh, thank you. It is um, Rachel and my name is spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. So Rachel underscore Bradford underscore N-P. Perfect. And then, yes, definitely, um, you know, share comments and and questions. We always love it. We'll definitely direct those your way, Rachel. Um, Thank you so much again. Um, Thank you for the invite. And we have a pleasure speaking with you, Rachel. Yes. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.